But I think it's important for us to to really take a look at at Scripture and and to talk about what God's Word has to say for us. And so we're going to jump into the book of 1 John. And I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn there. Uh, We're in chapter 5, and if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a blue Bible somewhere close to you. Um, If you uh, have to, you know, find one and ask somebody in your row for that, you can find that on page 864. If you read through the book of 1 John, which I really encourage you to do, to take the opportunity to read through uh, the book of 1 John, what you will find is him trying to encourage us to have self-confidence in our faith and in our walk in Christ. Uh, We've looked at three if statements so far. We've looked at if we confess, he is faithful and he will forgive. In week two, we looked at if we know him, then we obey him. Last week, we looked at if we love one another, then our love, then his love is made complete through us. And today I want to look at if we pray. Now here's what I know is true. A lot of times we think of prayer as just a churchy thing, right? It's just something we talk about at church. Maybe it's something we just do at church, but really prayer shouldn't be just a churchy thing. Prayer should be one of those things that is in every aspect of our life. Prayer, simply put, is putting God in our conversation. It's, It's just sharing with God. It's an opportunity to enter into His presence and to to experience Him through the Holy Spirit and through what Jesus has done for us. And what I want to propose to you today is this. If we pray, then God hears us. God hears us. Look with me at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along in the NIV if you picked up a blue Bible, and, and we'll talk about that a little more here in a few minutes. It says this. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm praying, it feels as though uh, I'm talking to someone who is doing whatever they're doing with their headphones in. You ever tried to talk to somebody like that? You talk and you talk louder and they just keep doing their thing. And they just kind of ignore you, right? It's not that they are really ignoring you. It's just that they really just never hear you because they have their headphones in. And it's just, sometimes it's frustrating. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like in your prayer time that you're talking to God, but you're not sure that he's listening? There's, There's times for me that I feel like when I'm praying that my prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. So I go outside, right? And nothing really changes too often. For instance, when my aunt was sick, I prayed. My family prayed, the whole church family prayed that she would be healed, and she died. It was as if God didn't hear our prayers, and what made matters worse for me personally was that I just graduated from Bible college, and my family was looking to me, the the resident theologian, to give them the answers that I didn't have. And I had to wrestle with the question, does God really hear our prayers? Many of you, if not all of you, you know Heather Freeman. She's been battling cancer for over seven years. As a church, we have prayed for her. Uh, There have been times where the the leadership team have gathered around her and prayed. I've prayed for her. I know that many of you have prayed for her as well. We've prayed for healing, believing that God has the power to restore her body and to make her well. But it's almost as if God's not hearing us. And what makes matters worse is when I, at least for me, is when I hear stories like this. I'll have somebody say, yeah, you know, I was, I was going to the store and I was running late and, and I needed to pick up one thing for this party I was going to. And so as I pulled into the parking lot, I prayed, you know, dear God, let there be a parking spot up front. And there was, right? And we're like, God, what's up with that? 
I mean, why answer that prayer, right? Couldn't they walk another 20 feet, right? What do we do when it seems as though God is not hearing our prayers? We believe that God can, and so we pray, and then nothing. Or maybe worse than nothing is the exact opposite thing that we pray for. That's what happens, and we get discouraged. And then we read a part of the Bible like we just read here in 1 John that says we have confidence that He hears us. And we think, you know what, that just really can't be true because it just hasn't really worked that way for me. This verse says, not only does he hear us, but he will give us whatever we ask of him. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, there you go. Proof right there. The Bible is not real because I haven't gotten what I've been asking for. And I hear that. And I can identify with that because prayers can carry with them some of the, the most you know, monumental, greatest times in our life. And they can also carry with them the greatest disappointment and discouragement and frustration and even anger. We get our hopes up and we pray and then nothing happens. And yet when we look at this verse a little more carefully, we see that it actually tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that's, that's an amazing promise if, if we really think about it. Not only that he will give us what we want, but he gives us what lines up with his will. And that's where we need to strive to live and to pray in His will. In His will, but but here's the deal. Here's the frustration for for many of us. I believe that that prayer is something we don't really do. It's not really a part of our daily life. And yeah, at, at church when we come together and we say, "Yeah, let's pray." What do we do? We all bow our heads and we close our eyes. You might even pray with your family before meal time. There may be a little bit of prayer that that you have, but a lot of people think that praying is just a hard thing to do. It's really hard to pray. It's difficult. And I want to propose a few reasons maybe why it's difficult for us to pray. The first one is this. You don't believe that God is real, which makes sense, right? If you don't really believe that God is real, you're not going to to spend your time doing that because what's the point in praying? But maybe for you, it's not that you don't believe God is real. It's that you don't believe God really cares. You believe God is real, but you don't really pray because you don't really believe he cares maybe he's too far removed or too busy or too whatever so why pray if god doesn't really care or maybe for you it's you don't pray because you don't receive the answers so if we believe god is real and we believe that he cares for us but but he's not answering our prayers then why would we pray at least maybe he's not answering the prayers in the way that we would like to receive our prayers being answered and And I want to look at those just a little bit deeper for just a few moments this morning. The first one is this. We don't believe God is real. Here in the United States, the statistics tell us that we are the most diverse country when it comes to religion. We are constantly rediscovering and redefining what religious liberty looks like. We see prayer rugs and temples, churches and cathedrals. There's even a church for people who don't want to go to church. I don't know if you read about this, but they meet on Sunday mornings. They gather together as a group of people. They sing a few songs, usually led by someone playing a guitar or the drums or the piano. They hear someone speak to them. They give money to pay for the rent and for the speaker and for the musicians and the different things. And then they all encourage one another and go home. Sounds a lot like church to me. Doesn't that sound like church to you? Right? And the organizers of it say they want to have community without religion. America is a place where you can practice any faith you want. And you don't even have to have faith to practice that you don't have faith. You can believe that you don't believe and that is considered 
okay and it's fine as strange as it may sound while we were in egypt one of the things that really encouraged the egyptian christians there was the fact that people are saying hey i don't believe in god that people are coming out saying i'm in an atheist and the reason they're encouraged with that is because if they're open enough to say hey i don't believe in god then they're open enough maybe to hear about jesus and what jesus has done for them for the first time here in the united states the common practice in our society is to question the norm, to question the establishment, to have suspicion and skepticism. One author said it this way, much of our world's messaging compels us to trust nothing and believe no one, especially people in institutions that claim absolute certainty. Why should they, considering the maelstrom of fraudulence, corporate outrages like by the likes of Enron and BP, misinformation about WMDs, highly publicized pre-sex scandals, it's easy to see why why suspicion runs rampant. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 80% of Americans consider themselves to be Christians. That's what they claim. And yet, less than a third of them attend church on what anyone might consider a regular basis. And this idea speaks to the fact that people are seeking something that's outside of the forms of normal, what we would consider normal, traditional religion. I'm sure that you and I both know people who believe in God, who love God, and yet they don't really go to church. They're seeking God in their own alternate spiritual ways. And so maybe the problem is not that we don't believe in God. We probably do. My guess, if you're here today, if you're sitting here today, you probably at least believe God exists or, or you wouldn't even be here. So maybe our issue is not that we don't believe in him. Maybe we just don't think he cares. Our view of God has been influenced by many things. It's been influenced by our past church experiences, conversations we've had with people, books we've read, movies we've seen. And in all of our experiences, for you, maybe you've become frustrated or misguided or discouraged or confused or or whatever. And this may cause you to become apathetic toward God because we conclude... If we can't really know for sure about God, and if we don't really know that he really cares, then what's the point? But I think it's important for us to take a moment and turn this around. And instead of focusing in on how we view God, maybe it's time to look at how God views us. I think it's easy sometimes to view God as as a distant, unapproachable God who created the world and then kind of said, Hey, good luck. Hope you make it. Hope things turn out okay. But not only did God create the human race, but he created each and every one of us individualistically. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Genesis chapter 1 tells us, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All of us, regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you look like, we are all created in the image of God. And because of that, we know that God loves everyone. Sometimes we lose sight of that and we become very guilty of placing people in different groups and categories and and trying to make sure that we can keep them in their proper spot. But God loves everyone. He loves absolutely everyone with his unconditional love. 
the type of agape love we talked about last week. The, the Bible is essentially God's love story for us, recording for us how He loved us from the very beginning, how He rescued us time and time and time again, and how He sent the ultimate rescue by sending His Son Jesus to the cross for you and for me and taking the punishment of our sin so that we can have life eternal. And as we looked at last week, God is love. First John 4 And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The Bible, as you read through it, it it often talks about about God being like our Heavenly Father, a Father who loves His children. And that's a really great picture for some people. The love of the Father is a great picture for some, but for others it's a very, very tough concept to accept. The countless number of children who are growing up without a father in their life, those who have experienced not the love and the care and the acceptance of a father, but maybe the abuse or the neglect or the fear or the uncertainty or the abandonment from a father. You see, I think that the view we have of our earthly father can greatly affect how we view God as our heavenly father. Now, obviously, it's not always the case. There have been people that have had terrible fathers in their life and and have a great relationship with God. And there are those who've had great fathers in their life and and they want nothing to do with God. You know, as a dad, it's been a joy and a challenge to watch my children grow. Our youngest is now 13. And and over the years, I've had the opportunity to to share with my children uh, love and try to demonstrate that to them. It's been really fun to, uh, to be around Ian and Courtney, especially watch Ian with Evie, because it reminds me of when Carissa was born and how as a dad, especially a dad of a daughter, you're just like, what do I do now, right? I can remember trying to be so perfect in everything I did because I didn't want to disappoint her. I wanted to do my absolute best for her, but the reality is this. As you really stop and think about it, from the very beginning, my love for my daughter was flawed. You see, honestly, I still wanted my sleep. (laughs) I still wanted my time. I still wanted my food. I still wanted my shoulder not to really smell as bad as it always did, right? I I still wanted, wanted my life. And even to the best of my ability to love her with the, with the most unconditional love I could ever think about, It was still an imperfect love. The reality is, over the years, I've disappointed my children. I've missed things. I've forgotten things. I've allowed anger to get in the way. I've allowed my own pride to get in the way. And one of the prayers that I have for my children is that my ability or my lack of ability to be a good father would not taint their view of God as a loving and perfect father. I really desire that they look past me and, and all, the, all of my faults to see that God is a loving Father and that He truly loves them unconditionally. I would propose that our view of God as our Heavenly Father and our view of prayer, those two things are intricately linked together. The connection often affects our ability to see His goodness and His desire to give us what is good. Because believe it or not, God does want to give you good things. Jesus illustrates this point in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
the fact of the matter is God does care for you. So we have to believe that. And so if we believe in the evidence that he does care for us, maybe the reason we don't pray is not because we don't believe or not because he doesn't care. Maybe it's because we don't receive answers or at least we don't receive the answers that we desire. And that brings me back to where I kind of started when I talked about how God didn't answer my prayers, how he hasn't answered our prayers, maybe not, at least not in the way that we desire for him to answer them. I think it would be safe to say, if you were just to be real honest with yourself, and you don't have to raise your hands or anything, this is just a a reflective question, but I would say each and every one of us in this room has prayed a prayer, and for one reason or another, you left that prayer feeling discouraged or frustrated due to a lack of response or not the response you were hoping for. But I want to challenge you with this. Maybe our problem is not a God issue, but maybe it's a perspective issue. Maybe it has very little or nothing to do with God's ability, but instead it's heavily dependent upon what we're asking or what we're expecting or the timing behind what we are saying God is to do. It seems to be that this verse is a verse that has a qualifier. Now, we don't like to talk about qualifiers in the Scripture because we don't want to talk about our role when we pray. Because honestly, if we really are honest, I think, at a, at a gut level, we just think that, that God should really listen to our prayer and give us what we ask for, but that's not the way it works. We, we really want God to give us our three wishes and grant us those things so we can go on our life and live our very merry way. But the text says, if we ask anything according to his will, according to his plan, and, and that's the part of the text that we really like to admit, omit or we like to change. We like to make it sound better so it'll make us feel better. One of the reasons we do that is because often we talk about the unconditional love that God has for us. And it's true, God does have unconditional love for us. But the danger in talking about His unconditional love is that we put our human conditions on it. And we conclude that if God loves us in an unconditional way, again, which He does, but because He does, we say, then surely He's going to give us what makes us happy. After all, the Bible does say, ask and you will receive. That's taking a text out of context, right? But that's what it says. But think about this, especially if you're a parent in the room this morning. And kids, listen up, because this might give you a little insight into your, your parents' thinking. Isn't it true that some of the times, one of the most loving things you can do for your child, if when they ask for something, if they can have something or go somewhere or do something, the most loving thing you can say to them is the word, No. Sometimes the most loving thing you can say is no. Out of your love for them, you say no. But here's the hard part, at least for me, to wrap my brain around. And sometimes it's this. God does the same thing to us. God's love for us is unconditional. And as a a result, his response to our prayers is completely conditional. Let me say that again. God's love for us is unconditional. And as a result, his response to our prayers is completely conditional. It's conditional upon his unconditional love. He loves us so much that he is unable to give us something that is detrimental to us. His love for us demonstrates and dictates how he will respond. His understanding of what's good for us is so much better than our understanding of what is good for us. And here's here's the really hard part, at least for me. How is asking for someone to be healed? 
How is asking for your child to break their addiction? How is asking for someone to come into a saving relationship with Christ? How is asking for my needs to be met? How is asking for God to take away my anger or restore a marriage or reunite families or any of those things? How could those possibly detrimental be detrimental? Why would God say no to requests such as those? Anybody ever been there with me? In my research and in my reading, I found an answer. The answer that I know to be true for me. The best answer I can give is, I don't know. I've been telling you guys for seven years that when I don't know the answer to something, I'm going to tell you I don't know. And this is one of those I don't know. I do not truly understand why God says no to things like that. But here's, here's what I do know to be true. And here's where I try to rest. God is so much bigger than our situation or our experience or our lives And he sees the ripple effects of each thing that happens. And ultimately, we have to trust him. Trust him that his love for us is greater than our love for us. We also have to remember that that God's not going to force people to love him or to follow his will. He's going to allow us to choose. And I get it. Because I've been there in a lot of ways I'm still there in some things. It's easy to say that. It's easy to, to understand the concept that, yes, God loves us and God has a bigger plan and that it's you know, all those things. But it's really harder to apply that and to live that in daily life. And at least for me, one of the reasons that it's difficult for me to live out in my daily life is because I fail to realize that God's plan, that his will, that his, his grand scheme, believe it or not, it's more than just about me. And I don't know that I like that a lot of times. God, is, shouldn't it all be about me, right? But it's not. And I would propose that in some, on some level, you struggle with that as well. God's plan is not wrapped all around you. It's not even just about us. God's plan is, it's not just about your individual story. Although your individual story is important, it's about all the stories in this room. It's about all the stories in our communities. It's all the stories in this region, in this country, in this world. God in his wisdom and in his plan, in his all-knowingness, he knows that, that sometimes the most loving thing he can say to you or to me is no. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. At least it has been for me. But I really want to encourage you to lift up your eyes and to see the broader perspective, to look at things from a macro level instead of just a micro level. And maybe one of the ways to do that is to simply examine why we pray or the way we pray. What does your prayer look like? When you pray to God, what does it sound like? We only have a couple of the prayers Jesus prayed recorded for us, but what we do have is this. When the disciples wanted to know how to pray, what did they do? They asked Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And what did he tell them? Well, he told them what we call the Lord's Prayer. He taught us how to pray. And would you say the Lord's Prayer with me? It's going to be on the screen behind me. Let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you look at how Jesus told them to start the prayer? Our Father, 
who is where? He's in heaven. And what's his name? Hallowed, as the way we've probably all learned it. It means holy. God is holy. I I believe that Jesus knew our perspective on prayer needed to be altered from the very beginning. When we pray, we need to be reminded of His greatness. And in doing so, it moves us from focusing in on us to focusing in on Him. And it challenges, uh, challenges us to see God universally instead of the God that we've made Him out to be, our own little personal God. What we desperately need in our life, I think, are two things. We need faith to believe and faith to trust. We need the faith to believe that He is able, that He is willing, that He, is, he can give us good gifts and He can provide for us in amazing ways, that God is working to provide for us, and He demonstrates that by everything He does in every moment of our life. And we also need to have the faith to trust, especially when the answer is no. We need to trust that God, our Father, He knows what's best for us, for all of us. I think it's very important that as we pray, that we pray believing that the answer is yes, because God is able. But we also have to have faith to trust when the answer is no. We have to choose to surrender to God's will, to believe that prayer works, to surrender our arrogance, which leads us to believe that it's all about us, to surrender our ignorance of God's will, surrender our immaturity to His wisdom. We need the discipline to pray for wisdom, and to, to desire and pursue the things that God is pursuing. I challenge you to pray that God will direct your day, to pray for your spouse, to pray for your family, to pray for this church, to pray for each other, to pray for us as staff. We all need each other's prayers. We need to be lifting each other up. If you're married, I want to challenge you to pray with your spouse. Not just at them, but with them. Pray with your spouse. It may be awkward at times, but pray together. It will really deeply affect your marriage. Pray with your family. Pray with your children, maybe more than just at meal and bedtime. Pray with them. Pray for your relatives. Pray for your friends. Pray with your friends. Now, please hear me on this, okay? I'm not standing up here as a guy who has this all figured out, because I don't. But what, I, what I, has made a big difference for me and what I think might make a big difference for you is when we start viewing prayer, instead of an obligation, we look at it as an opportunity. As you guys probably already know, and I've, as I've told you before, I'm a list maker. I put things on a list, and when I put them on the list, they get done. If I don't put on a list, it usually is not going to get done, which is why if, when someone says something to me as they're leaving on a Sunday morning, what do I always ask you to do? Hey, can you email me or call me or text me or something? Because I'm not writing this down and it's, it's going to be gone. Okay? I put on a list, it gets done. But can I tell you what's not on my list? Prayer. It used to be, but it's not on my list anymore. And do you know why? Because I don't believe that God wants me to religiously pray. Instead, I think he desires for me to enter into a relationship with him through prayer. And I pray not because I'm obligated to pray as a believer, but because it's an opportunity for me to talk to my Heavenly Father. It's an opportunity for me to share with Him my heart and to deepen my faith and to trust in Him that He is good and that He knows best and that He is able and that He's in charge. And I'm not doing it perfectly. I'm not doing this prayer thing perfectly, but the beauty of it is I don't have to because God is able. So I ask you this. If there was one thing you could pray about, what would it be? Think about that right now. If there was one thing 
what would you pray about? Got it? Here's your challenge for the next seven days. Would you pray for that at least once a day for the next seven days? Would you commit to praying for that? Maybe for you, you need to write it down on your bulletin, tear out your communication card and write it on there. Maybe you need to put it on a post-it note, put it on your mirror. Maybe you need to put it on, on your you know, speedometer, on your car. Whatever it takes, put a reminder in your phone. Would you pray for that every day this week? Because if it's important enough for you to sit here and think about, it's important enough for you to pray about. So it is an important enough thing for you to talk to God about. We would love to have the opportunity to pray with you about that as well. On your communication card, which I just referenced, there's a place for you to put in there, prayer requests. You can write it down and you can turn it in. And we as a, as a staff and as a, a prayer team and as a leadership team, we would love to have the opportunity to pray with you and for you. It's important to, uh, for us to pray. Scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. We have the opportunity to pray, the opportunity to trust, the opportunity to see God do amazing things in our lives and in the lives of other people. We have the opportunity to pray that people would discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ in their life on a daily basis. We have the opportunity to affect those around us by praying for them. We have the opportunity to communicate with our Heavenly Father. Will we seize that opportunity? We have access to the most powerful, loving, generous, faithful Father who is inviting us to come to Him, to believe in Him, to trust in Him, and to pray. And it's all made possible because of what Jesus did for us, what He did for us on the cross. Every week, we take the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We remember and we celebrate how He gave of His life, how He he shed His blood for us how His body was sacrificed for us. We remember that as we pass the emblems, the bread which represents His body and the juice which represents His blood. And in just a moment, they're going to pass the trays and we're going to take a moment to remember His sacrifice, to remember what Jesus did for us. And it's my prayer for you in this moment that you would communicate with God, that you would pray to Him, and that you would seek Him and that you would celebrate the sacrifice that he's made for you. We invite everyone to participate in this time together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for this time as we remember the sacrifice Jesus made. Father God, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you did make for us. God, thank you that in your wisdom and in your love, you chose to send your son so that we could have hope and we could have life in you. Father, help us to focus in on you and and to celebrate you in this moment as we partake of these emblems and as we remember. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.